You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. everybody, what's up? Welcome to Nowhere to Run. It's good to be back doing the show with you, and it's good to be back in the United States. Uh, as, uh, as many of you know, I've been in Africa for just a little over two months. Got back just a few days ago, getting adjusted to the time zones and everything, and um, it was an amazing time, a really instructive time in a lot of different areas, in a lot of different ways. So I'm going to devote this episode to, to recapping all the things that happened in Africa. And then I'm just going to get right back into the things that I love to do, the projects that I, I love to work on, because one of the things that I learned in Africa was how, mm, how lucky I am to be able to speak to the people that I like to speak to or want to speak to or maybe even have to speak to in my in my drive to to reach a, a certain people in a certain culture um that's just the the drive that I've been gifted with I really want to do it and I have the tools to do it and I'm excited about it and um I didn't really go to Africa to reach a people in a different culture I really went to empower um pastors and leaders who already knew how to reach their culture and knew their their culture and the, their their people. Uh, I wanted to help them do what they do better. But in the process, I really learned, I just was just thirsty to get back and to, to, to utilize to the fullest extent the, the drive that I have to, to reach the culture and people that I want to reach and have the ability to reach. So, that's that's the main thing, and I'm going to really try to hit the ground running with a lot of the projects that I've been working on, particularly uh, what's on my uh, plate right now, which is the Ancient Aliens Debunked Project. Just really quickly, I had an opportunity to write the entire script uh, uh, while I was there. It's a monster script. Um, it's I don't know. Right now, it's going to be like uh, you know an epic, huge movie unless I can edit it down, which I just will have to edit it down, but I don't want to um, sacrifice too much information. So, but the good news is I wrote it all and it's in the intellectual work is done. Now I just really have to get into production. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing Mike Kaiser a little later this month and hopefully get some really good footage for the film there as well. And we'll have plenty of time to talk about the, the film later on. But uh, right now, let's just jump into first some of the actual ministry things that um, that I did while I was in Africa. I had a lot of different videos and did a lot of podcasts talking about the the different things that I had planned to do. So I'm just going to presume that uh, you know you know a little bit about that, and if not, you'll kind of pick it up as I explain each uh, particular item. So, for example, uh, the first one on my list here is the distribution of Bibles in Swahili. I think uh, we had, we were able to buy 250 or so 
uh, Swahili Bibles and Eldoret at the pastor's conference there. And they were a just huge success. You know, um, it's when when the Bible speaks of itself in the word, I mean, it just talks of itself as um, these words, the words of the Lord are, are have the power to change people, to transform people. And it was a really great honor to be able to give uh, pastors who who really need the Bible and really need to understand the Bible in their language, especially because there's not a lot of resources, uh, concordances and whatnot in their language. They really need at least the the the, ba- the basics, the word itself in a language that they truly understand. So I was really uh, blessed uh, to be able to do that. And thank you for all of your help to be able to purchase those Bibles Um and it was a great success with that. You know, one of the things that was the biggest uh, surprise of, of how big of an impact I believe that it made was the SD cards. If I was going to encourage any missionary out there, if I if I was going to do this all over again, I would bring a huge amount of micro SD cards. If I was going to Africa or India or someplace where everybody now has cell phones but nobody really has SD cards. And I would, um, you know, go to Faith Comes by Hearing and download the, wherever I'm going, the dialects that are important wherever I'm going, because Faith Comes by Hearing pretty much has the New Testament and about any dialect you could think of. Um, That's really not an exaggeration. I mean, unless it's just totally obscure, like some off-beaten tribe in Papua New Guinea or something like that. But um, anyway, the the off-the-beaten-path. Anyways, uh, it was a huge success. Seeing the uh, the pastors, in, you know, hearing the language, the, the Bible in their language. Because in Africa, there's about, I think it's 33 different tribes, um, but about seven different languages that are the most common, That especially where I was, that people would speak. So it was very unlikely that they would, um, you know, that they would have... Um, the Bible and their specific heart language. So being able to give give these pastors Bibles in their language, their heart language, like uh, uh, Luo or Luya or Masai or Kikuyu or, or whatever, they have they were just to see their faces light up in just amazement at it, and to see them like show it to their friends and and give it to their friends uh, via Bluetooth. Last I heard, they were just spreading all over the place, uh, different countries, and I just keep getting updates about what's happening with that, um, the micro SD cards. So I would really encourage anybody thinking of a mission trip to go on eBay, get like over 200 of those things. And don't just don't just go there expecting to give them out to anybody. You need to be kind of careful because everybody will want one and they'll just use it for music or whatever. But if you do it, if you do it in a place like a pastor's conference or have some kind of venue or doing it on a one-on-one basis, um, like, for example, uh, I started to have to be a lot more selective of them um, uh, as the supply started dwindling. And so I had I had about, I don't know, I had like 20 or so that I was really just holding out for just the perfect situations. And, I mean, I saw people, uh, for example, there was a, a blind lady, actually two blind uh, ladies, one was going blind, one was blind, that uh, being able to give them the Bible in both English and their heart language and them being blind, you know, and they were actually in the ministry. So they were constantly ministering to these widows and stuff like that. So it was just, I mean, a life changing thing for somebody to be able to not be able to read the Bible unless somebody's reading it to them and 
then being able, you know, it, you could really do some some good with uh, with those SD cards in combination with Faith Comes by Hearing, and a lot of good was done uh, with that particular thing. The teachings that I did at the conferences were something that I was really praying that God would use, you know, to a great extent because I'd worked so hard on them. Um, you know, I really, I really researched really hard and I put a lot of effort and I really tried to be faithful to what I was learning. And, um, even though some, sometimes it was kind of hard and I didn't know how people were going to take it and different things, but man, the conference, um, they, they, they were just so receptive of it. Um, there were uh, several people in there that that uh, stood up, and they were they had doctorate degrees and different things like that. And they would stand up and they would tell people, "This is this is better than what I learned in in seminary. This is you know whatever." When they would they, they on on several occasions they would sort of endorse what I was saying, and they would you know these people that were really big in the community and in theological circles and stuff like that. And uh, it wasn't just that it was it was widely received by the people at the conference. But then um, they were translated into Swahili. People kept saying, hey, we need these teachings. We need these teachings, you know, uh, the pastors from different uh, countries and stuff like that. So there became a demand to get them printed and, the, and, and get them translated first and then get them printed. Also, since it was like five days worth of material, I don't know how many hours worth of material, um, they actually were turned into, after they were translated, they were turned into a local radio program. An entire radio program was started um, uh, just reading these teachings in, in the language and also a television show, if I understand correctly. I, I'm not sure if that started or or will start soon. Um, didn't quite understand the details of that one. But anyway, so much more than I could have ever expected happened with the teachings themselves. Also, with the cell phones, uh, the cell phone concordance project and the cell phone Bible project, uh, both of those were distributed to huge amounts of people. Um, the distribution method actually was me doing it uh, manually, though, because the, the, what I'd hoped to do was use the Bluetooth proximity marketing devices, which, um, which would do it sort of automatically and all at one time. But uh, I set it all up at the conference, and I turned it all on, and one person received the uh, the the cell phone and uh, cell phones uh, concordance in the Bible, and so so it was a little disheartening because I had to manually do that to everybody at the at the at the conference. But in the long run, it was good because at that point, early on in my stay in Africa, was where I really had a crash course in learning the different phone varieties in Africa and the different sort of problems that arise and things like that. So um, so I learned a lot for the future conferences. There was actually not just that conference, the five-day conference in Eldoret, but there were two conferences in Mbita, which uh, I also was able to to work with cell phones. So it was um, it was just a good a good time uh, with the cell phone concordance project and with the Bible project. And those are two things that I also hope will spread like wildfire. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of information about what's happening with those. All I can do is just assume that uh, they're getting a lot of use out of. Um, I didn't really get a lot of updates as to, as to where, you know, where they're going or, or how, what people are getting from them. But it, as I get them, I'll certainly let you know about that. Um, let's see here. The other things were the Nook 
um, thing for the Bible College. I I packed that thing full of uh, full of every kind of theological material as well as the ability to um, do the things like with the SD cards and stuff like that. Uh, it had it had a lot of capabilities for them. And the guys who ran the Bible school there were just great. It was good to see what they were doing. And, and um, also was able to see a lot of different orphanages. Man, the orphanages were great. Uh, the kids were great. There's so much to be uh, to be done in Africa in regard to orphanages. Kids in Kenya constitute 60% of the population. And one of the projects that I was glad to be able to, to do there that I wasn't expecting to be able to do and was um, due in large part to a donation that I wasn't expecting that really was able to fund this as, as well as some other uh, really, I hope, fruitful things in Africa. But um, was there was this one guy named Hezron who I spent a lot of time with while I was there, and he was the head of the children's ministry. Uh, had a really, really big heart for orphans. He himself was an orphan, and he knew what it was like to, to be on the beaches, which is where a lot of the kids uh, grow up. They grow up just on the on the shores of Lake Victoria, in these sort of kid kid groups, kid communities, I guess you could call call them. And he's really really passionate about seeing those those beaches changed. Anyway, uh, one of the projects that he does and is is passionate about is the, the is showing films at, on the beaches, sort of doing movie nights at the beaches. And uh, he couldn't do it at the moment because his projector w- was broken and um, and. The speakers that he had were just computer speakers, so they never really could get loud enough anyway. But um, but we were able to set him up with a speaker system that was um, you know could could accommodate thousands of people, and I had the projector that was LED, so the bulb wasn't going to break. And combined with um, my iPod, which I told my wife before I went, you know, I'd really like to be able to keep this iPod. I hope nobody needs it really really bad. And I made it almost two months without uh, anybody needing it. But uh, to make a long story short, it really would have just changed everything in terms of what he was able to do. It was a 160 gig iPod. I was able to to, to wipe it clean of everything and put um, just Christian movies like you know the Jesus film and and uh, and all the the videos that I did that were relevant and a lot of other stuff on there that were important uh, to his ministry and. It was just amazing what happened. I mean, there were like, at, at the minimum, 500 kids showing up to these things. And at the maximum, you know, were over 1,000 kids and with the potential for more than that. And it was just so, so powerful to see the potential that this little thing, this little thing, some speakers and a projector and an iPod could have on a community. And... Uh, so I'm really excited about what happens with that. And there was no small amount of opposition uh, with that either because I had never seen a, a a spiritual warfare situation like that before in my life. I mean, it was, I mean, I've experienced spiritual warfare in very different contexts, but nothing like this. It was almost like just as thick as anything. It was really, really tangible stuff. And at one point I remember telling him, uh, because it just seemed impossible. Things were going wrong, odd things, weird things, people just, you know, our ride going crazy. And anyway, the, the, the point is, is that I remember telling him one night, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think it's going to work this time. I think, you know, the devil won this round. We'll come back and get him tomorrow. And, uh, the good thing about him is that he's like, no, 
no, he didn't win, and we're going to keep uh, we're going to keep doing this. And he, you know, came up with a situation, and uh, it all worked out that particular night. I think a thousand kids showed up, so I was a bad influence on on at that point. But uh, at, at any rate, it's a powerful ministry, and I was really glad to be able to to do that. There are a lot of things like that, a lot of little things that I did there that I think will make big impacts. That's the thing about Africa that. Uh, I notice is that there, for a person who is a kind of a an entrepreneurial-minded person, and I, I think it applies to whether it's business or social entrepreneur or uh, 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 what would you call this, uh, evangelism entrepreneur, it's like a paradise for that because little things make big differences in Africa. And most of the time that I would have conversations with people while I was there, I was just learning about about things like that. I was and my mind the entire time for almost two months straight was trying to gather information about what, you know, different aspects of things that I, I thought that I might be able to to make an impact on in some way or another. And some, some of that was devoted to just basic social entrepreneurial stuff because so much of Africa's um, problems are are kind of practical problems. You know, one of the places that I spent a lot of time uh, with there was a place called Seek Suba Environmental Education of Kenya, and you know they they they're sort of an environmental group. They talk a lot about you know deforestation and stuff like that. But the place that I was at was you know completely deforested, and it was causing every bit of their problems. I mean, it was if you look at it on a chart. I mean, in fact, I think now the government knows and stuff like that. But deforestation is the primary uh, cause of poverty in any country. It's the, it, you know, one of the most root causes of, of poverty. And it was certainly true. The domino effect of what happened as they uh, cut down the trees and, and didn't replant them uh, in that area just destroyed the entire community. And in fact, it, it really hit home as I was at the same time doing research for um, things like Easter Island. Easter Island, when, when people showed up later on after the Moai statues had already been built and and they they deforested the entire island using the wood to drag these things around or whatever it was just total utter chaos i mean the place was a mess and it, the, the the early explorers like noted how how it was impossible for them to one of the big mysteries was how could these people in this situation have built the moai because that suggested a culture that you know was was somewhat stable but this culture was just completely destroyed and it was because of the deforestation that happened. In fact, that if you look up soil erosion uh, on Wikipedia, a picture of Easter Island will be there. But, but anyway, so I learned a lot about those kinds of things. So I spent a lot of time trying to think about the problems associated with with the practical problems. And, and I really think that I made a lot of uh, um, good uh, uh, progress in in working with the people that were doing stuff there. And I really was on board with that and saw that they had spent 17 years thinking about this and sleepless nights. Well, how do we fix that problem? But the good thing about that particular ministry was they were so, they were so devoted to listening to God about things. And as a result, the, <laughs> their, their ministry is more about helping orphans and widows and, and dealing with witch doctors and, and everything else that that's necessary on the ground there. Um, that that the environment is stuff is almost has become i mean it's it's a it's a huge part of what they're doing but it's it's almost uh in order to even get there you have to deal with all these other things so i really enjoyed them and i'll talk a little bit about them 
Um, I'll put the trailer, or it's not a trailer, it's a, um, it's a, about a five minute promotional video of what they do on the website. Um, and okay, so let me talk a little bit about the um, things that I learned, I guess. Well, you know, there were a few scriptures that really became a big part of my thought processes while I was there. One of them was, I guess I should pull it up, huh? Matthew 25, I think it's Matthew 25, 30 or 40, I'll find out here in a minute. And I actually first got this scripture when I it was in Eldoret, and I was a little, I was a lot frustrated with a few different things. Um, I felt like, especially with the with the SD cards, um, people, you know, not just the pastors, but the word got out, and people were like coming from all over, and everybody was was asking for the SD cards. It's a small thing, you know. People were showing up at the house that I was at. It's like oh, we heard there was SD cards here, you know. And it wasn't just that; it was other things similar to that. And I was just getting a little bit bitter about it, and and uh, and these kinds of things. I, I could go into some more details, but the, it should suffice to say that I was I was really struggling, and I think that I was really tired too because I really hit the ground running there, and I had absolutely no time to adjust before I was just working for a week straight, and so I was a little, you know, uh, stressed as well. And I remember um, going to bed that night and just asking God for a scripture and being serious about it, like I have to have some kind of word from you to go on because I am just, I just don't know if I can do this, um, without some kind of, of help. Uh, because, and I got this verse just as quick as I opened up the Bible, I got, and the King will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, in so much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And I didn't really want to hear that at the time because uh, my bitterness, and I actually continued to look for other passages. Uh, but what happened was, is the next day in the conference, uh, the guy who invited me there, the guy running the conference, before he even started the, the, the conference for that day, he stood up and he said, I was praying last night, and I just wanted to let you know that, that God gave me a scripture for you. Um, and it was really clear. And so so here it is, Matthew 25, 40. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, in so much as you did it to one of these, uh, the least of my brethren, you, you did it to me. And he says, that scripture is for, for you. You know, and I was like, yeah, I know. Uh, so it was, it was good confirmation about that. And as a result, that, that really encouraged me. And it was an important um, sort of mantra of the of the trip there for me. The other one was in 2 Corinthians 12:15 and I'm not sure when I got this if it was that same night. I think it was or maybe it was later in a, in a different sort of just reading of the scriptures, but it says, "And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls." And that that was important to me, I guess for the same kind of idea, but a little bit different. Paul says he would gladly spend and be spent for their souls. So so to be spent physically and to spend financially and to, to leave it all out on the field, so to speak, is what uh, I just kind of pictured biblical missions, at least this particular one of Paul, to be about. 
and and that's what I wanted mine to be about too, which was just to be exhausted, to be uh, you know to to exhaust your resources and in, and in, in every way that you could think of. And I I really really felt like um, these two verses were were helpful to me while I was there. So um, the other things that I I really learned there was let's see I think faith was an important thing. I had a lot of um, questions about faith while I was there because there's a lot of word of faith kind of stuff in Africa. There's a lot of emphasis on faith and probably more not doctrinally correct stuff. Um, you know, word of faith is, you know, kind of name it and claim it sort of stuff. And they're they're doctrinally wrong on, on a lot of points there. Um, and I struggled with how much I should just rail about that doctrine. You know, should I go and you know, quote some scriptures to people or whatever? And and I learned a lot because what I started being worked on while I was there is 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 while yes that they take that too far and they are wrong about uh, a lot of that stuff. There is something that they do have that I think in the overcorrection that I know I have uh, downplayed which was the importance of faith in when you pray and, and ask for the things that you need and the importance of faith in healing and the importance of faith in all these things. It's true. You know, as I was, you know, as I was thinking about this and actually kind of becoming bitter again, you know, like, you know, sh- you know, th- should I say something about this? And that's totally wrong. And I can't believe they said that, you know, saying this kind of at the end of the day uh, thing as I'm, as I'm reading the Bible and, and, and it's like on every page, it's talking about, you know, and let that not let that man who doesn't have faith not expect anything and all these different. I mean, it's like on every page of the Bible is how important faith is to um, to to healings and to uh, answered prayers. I mean, it's not the only thing, but it's certainly a very, very important thing. And so I think on one hand, I learned in the. I learned the importance of faith and really remembering that and and I think seeing it in action a lot of times too. One particular uh, healing that was uh, uh, important to me was this uh, the guy who brought me there to the conference in Eldoret. He got, uh, got malaria, uh, I think in like the second day and it it started to become a pretty bad case. I mean, I could tell that he didn't mention it to anybody as far as I know, except for me. And by the second day, I could tell he was really, really feeling it. Now, a lot of people get malaria in, uh, in, in Africa and, you know, the average person has had malaria, you know, adult, the average adult 30 times or something like that. So, so, but he, it was a particularly bad case and, um, he said as much and I could tell it was starting to get to him and it was really worrisome to me because he was the one sort of organizing my transport back and forth. And, you know, he was running the conference and it was so important for him to, to, to not be, not have malaria. <laughs> and anyway, so he, he, towards the end of the conference that day, he, he asked people up to, to be healed if they had any sicknesses or whatever, uh, and he just simply played, prayed for people. And one lady came up that had malaria and he prayed for her. Not a big deal was really made about it during that uh, that moment or anything else. But as we were leaving the conference, I asked him how he was doing with his malaria. And he was like, oh, no, it's gone. Uh, when I prayed for that lady, it was totally healed. I'm totally healed. She was healed and I was healed at the same instant. I was like, wow, that's that's pretty awesome. You know, that's God doing some cool stuff there. 
Okay, changing mics there real quick and continuing with the things that I learned. Um, there were a lot of things to learn in Africa. Obviously, you get a lot of context, um, how it is that people live and stuff like that is the obvious things. When I first got there, I mentioned it took me a while to get adjusted. One of the, the reasons was that um, I was uh, the, where I was staying was in the in the slums, I guess. I didn't really know it was the slums at the time. I just um, thought that was what, and, and really, that is, it was actually pretty good for Africa standards. But uh, later on, he'd mentioned that he lived in the slums, and I was like, okay, well, this is the slums. Um, one interesting, notable thing that there was there was two rabid dogs that lived outside of this uh, the place that I stayed, and they kept telling me, you know, don't go near them because those dogs are poisonous. And I was like, what do you mean poisonous? Like, how are they poisonous? Um, and they were poisonous because they were rabid, and they were they also said that they really didn't like white people so they would bite white people so that was an interesting uh tidbit but but it took me a while to get used to that but when i started to get context more um going to different people's houses seeing different situations uh it slowly became not just normal but kind of kind of comfortable in a way and i think that was a good thing to learn for me, I mean, I would have probably said I was the type of person that didn't really care either way. You know, I could get used to a lot of situations, but it, it took some adjusting for me um, in that regard. We went actually to a refugee camp uh, as well, where some people were displaced from the 2008 elections that were still there. And the conditions in that refugee camp were pretty bad, to give you an idea of how bad um, these these two ladies, which I gathered were probably a mother and her mother and uh and were their their children had died as a result of the conditions of the the camp and um anyway so we went in there and this this little tent and um and it was actually you know for being a refugee tent you know it was pretty it was pretty much like a you know a home in a, in a lot of ways, but anyway, an interesting thing happened while I was there. I, one of the things that I gave them was um, one of the proclaimers from Faith Comes by Hearing, that is those crank their crank radio type things. They are solar paneled, but they are just loaded with only one thing, that is the Swahili New Testament. And so I gave this to to them, and I gave them about sixty dollars U.S. Um, and the older lady who was blind or going blind, um, a different. This is a different blind lady than the one I mentioned before. She just as soon as she got this proclaimer and she could hear the word of God, she she hit her knees and began to pray to God and in Swahili. And man, it was just the presence of God showed up in that uh, in that tent in the slums, and it was very powerful, and it was amazing to see. Uh, her um her thankfulness for this this gift of 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 the word and a small amount of money which wouldn't go very far but it was clear that the word was what she was thanking god for and it was pretty cool to to see and to feel the presence of god there in that uh, in that tent in that refugee camp um so let's see a few other things that i learned one one thing where i was at um at uh, at seek I really liked the way that uh, they would they kept the word and they kept um um uh, 
prayer and intercession a, a really big part of the daily activity. And I pretty much integrated myself as as part of the staff. So I joined all the staff me- meetings and stuff when I was there. Um, and one of the things that I learned and really liked was their commitment to listening to God to see what he wanted to do. And one of the ways that uh, they did that is is every, uh, I believe it's every Thursday, they did intercession, what they called intercession, which was, they would just get in, break into three groups, about uh, five people or so in each group, and they would go around, and they would just do like a um, an, an old YWAM sort of thing where people would uh, just silently and quietly repent and and confess uh, sins, you know, silently and and begin to just pray about uh, some things uh, with each other, and then after that, which take about five ten minutes or whatever, they would wait on God for you know, 30 minutes, an hour, just sitting in this group. And, um, you know, if anybody got anything, you know, a scripture verse or anything, then they would share it with the group and they would have somebody record it. And then they would take these three groups, would would take what they recorded and they would go back into the classroom and, and everybody would meet and the recorders would present what was, uh, what they, what they got there. And the, and, and what was cool is to see, how the different groups would get things that corresponded to uh, the other ones, and they were sort of leading this. This it, it was really amazing to see. And what was even more amazing is that um, you know I I was being used in it too, just like anybody else. Um, I was kind of skeptical, or at first, or maybe not skeptical is the right word, but yeah, some days uh, you know maybe I wasn't uh, into it or whatever. I was just like, oh come on, we got to get some work done here. You know, this is going to take us too long, and sort of. My my thought process of of these kinds of things. I wasn't I wasn't going into it looking for um, hearing a word from the Lord or anything like that. But and I was I was like determined like unless I get something I'm not going to share it unless I like really get something. And it seemed like every time, no matter how much I was trying to resist it and be like you know this is going to have to be something serious a serious impression for me to me to share anything, I would uh, I would share something. Because it was like, man, I get, you know, I'd be a strong impression of some sort of, you know, verse. And I'd be like, okay, well, that's probably my mind or something. But I'll look it up just in case, you know. I'd look it up and it was like the perfect verse. And it was like really what what was uh, important for some reason or whatever. So I'd say, well, I think I'm getting this verse or whatever. And it turns out that it tied together with other stuff people were getting. And in that way, I felt like they were really trying to listen to what God wanted to do that week, you know, and if something significant came up, then they would do it. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I thought it was something that would be good to do, um, even in, uh, in one's own life. Uh, of course that would be good to do. But anyway, um, one time, uh, that, that was happening and I didn't, uh, actually it was sort of a different thing. It was actually before they went into intercession, after we got done praying for the, the daily staff meeting, everybody just kind of was quiet for maybe 15 minutes and then all of a sudden, uh, one guy, Hezron, actually, he mentioned um, a Bible verse, and he read this verse, and then slowly everybody started reading different verses and and um, and, and saying, okay, well, here's one. And, and then they just started writing them down, and I was just going through them. I was like, okay, well, you know, whatever. I, I, I was kind of, I was skeptical again. I was like, we got stuff to do, you know, we got, you know, and... So I just started looking at the verses and I started, you know, looking them up and uh, and just seeing if there was any pattern. And it became clear to me that there was this amazing pattern 
developing for this with the scriptures that people were getting. They all matched, and they were all trying to show different aspects of, in this particular thing, um, the uh, the righteousness of of, of Christ um, it was was sort of the theme of it, and it was really important for some legalism stuff that was going on or whatever. And I I started to see this pattern developing. And my contribution to that particular one was just like, hey, check this pattern out. I think I see what's going on here. You know, here I am excited and surprised that, uh, in fact, you know, all these verses that I'm thinking, oh, come on, this is taking too long. You guys are being a little hyper charismatic, don't you think? And uh, here I am, the, the guy saying, wow, something's actually happening here. This is impossible for them to, like, just kind of come up with these. They were certainly weren't trying to make this grand theological point with saying that, or they were just saying a verse. And uh, lo and behold, it was a very, very instructive thing. It was really powerful. Everybody was talking about it for a long time. Um, okay, so that's one thing. Uh, I think I talked about faith. That's something I learned. I, I, I was store, sort of talking about the context. Um, but let me just talk about Africa in general. I think that's something that I could talk about for a little while. What I learned about Africa. Um, and in a lot of ways, that's what I, I was. I came back with a lot of knowledge about. I'll say Kenya, probably more accurately. I saw a lot of different places in Kenya, different scenes. I was in the cities, I was in the slums, I was um, in the savannas, I was in the small towns, um, and I, I got to mingle with different uh, tribes and different tribal areas and understand a lot of different people, talk politics with people, uh, and and business and everything else. Just got a lot of opportunity to soak in the what was going on um and first of all it's a wild place it's a wild wonderfully wild place the landscape is so diverse and whether it's the volcanic mountains uh of the rift valley or um you know the open plains in in the maasai area or um you know the the, the deserts in the in the northeast or whatever it's just a wild place and it's a contrasting place of just immense beauty and difficult um situations you know you'll see this unbelievably majestic scenery you know and then right at the foot of that uh that scenery there's there's what we would consider a very uh you know very thrown together living situation you know and and I think I'll talk about that right, right off the bat because that's actually one thing that I liked about Africa in one sense is that they could throw together a living situation. Do you know that during the two plus months I was in Africa, I was never asked for money by a beggar. Not once did somebody say, please, sir, give well, some kids did just as a sort of like thing that they would do sometimes, but um, not very many. But uh, but anyway, my point is is that no no beggar, no person that was poor asked me for money. And there weren't any beggars, as far as I could see in the place. I'm sure there are beggars in, in Kenya, don't get me wrong, but um, in the places that I was at, there weren't any. And one of the reasons, I think, for that is that a person who has absolutely nothing in Africa, if they want to, they can begin to make enough money to eat, to do whatever, honestly, because they can begin to work legally. They can sell some fruit or they can sharpen a machete or they can, um, you know, get a bike 
and start uh, peddling people around. They can do something legally to begin uh, to work. A lot of people, the kids now from the beaches are getting what they call picky pickies or boda bodas, which are motorcycle taxis. And yes, it's flooding the market because everybody's doing it uh, or whatever, or fishing or something. People can work legally um, and start their own businesses legally. Very, And I think that that's different than America because America, a person that doesn't have a house, doesn't have anything, is actually a lot further from being able to, to generate income than anybody in Africa because they have to, even if they wanted to go to McDonald's and get a job, they still have to... Um, you know, they got to get a shower and they've got to have a place to, to, uh, they got to have transportation. They've got to have a lot of things in order to get that job at McDonald's. It's a kind of this chicken and the egg thing. You have to, you basically have to have somebody support you until you're able to get on your feet in America. It's very hard for somebody that's homeless just to be homeless and just get a job somewhere. So, there, and, and that's because of government re- regulations with being able to start businesses. And I'm all for some government regulations, don't get me wrong. But but I think that the lax regulations in regard to those kinds of things was is a big thing, especially places, uh, things like housing. I mean, you, a mud brick house um, built with a frame of, of wood from trees is a perfectly legitimate house in Africa. And um, there's nothing to be ashamed of if you have a mud brick house with a wooden frame. And and it's legal. It certainly would not be legal here. I mean, technically, I think you, there are certain types of those things. But to get to get it actually approved by the you know building approval people, it would never happen. It has to be up to code and stuff like that. So therefore, housing is 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 not something that the average person can afford. Um because the standards are so high. So it's again it's a regulation, a government regulation thing that I think is is uh difficult for the poor people here. Um so that's that's one thing. I learned a lot about uh um getting stuff done in Africa is difficult because there's just it, everything is harder. That's sort of the 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 one of the things I just kept saying everything is is harder in Africa. Whether it's um, you know, if, if you need that, well, you got to go to to Kasumu or to the next largest town. Or there's a lot of things. Well, you got to go to Nairobi for that, and it might not even be in Nairobi. Every, the the acquisition of a lot of things were were was very difficult, um, and you know, just with with very little access to electricity and with electricity being intermittent, even when it is there, um. And obviously the internet and things like that, although they have the you know starting to get a three g network and stuff like that, but still it's it's just harder in Africa to do things um and uh the food and stuff like that I mean, I actually didn't really notice too much of uh problems with the food i I liked the food for the most part. everybody eats something called ugali, which is basically like a cornmeal um I don't know what you'd call it, just a, sort of a big hunk of cornmeal that everybody sort of shares. And and and, and uh, I didn't like ugali very much, and I didn't like something they call omena, which is basically like a bunch of dried minnows um, and 
Uh, I never did eat that. And I never, I ate only very, very sparsely something called uji, which is kind of like a porridge. And I didn't really like uji that much. Those three things I didn't like, but for the most part, I enjoyed the food. Um, I never realized how good goat was. Goat meat, roasted goat meat, I, I learned this in my Kenyan uh, um, culture book, that it was like a really big deal. If you were getting roasted goat meat, like something good had happened. You know, something was getting celebrated. And that was certainly true. That was the one thing my Kenyan culture book had right. Roasted goat was like, hey, wow, hey, something is happening now. Um and it was very rare, rare and it was, it was a good treat. And I don't know why I'd never thought about goat meat before. I, I remember asking my grandfather one time, why don't people eat goats? You know, what, do they just not, are they just not good to eat? Um, and I just didn't know because I certainly had not had goat. But I don't know why we're not doing it because it's really good. One thing I didn't get a chance to talk about yet was the Kenyan churches. I got to be in a lot of different churches and see how church was done. It actually really made me appreciate church in America. Um, I was talking with a friend recently about how um, I like the idea of sort of a buffet line of the denominations. I'm not really, um, I don't think any denomination has everything right, but I like to be able to pick and choose different things that I like um, that are scriptural from each each one of them uh, and not really be tied to any particular one. But, but um, there are certain things that I would, pick and choose from African Pentecostalism, which is what I sampled most of. And I think Pentecostalism in, in Africa is, is just a little bit different than what we would think of it, although not not too much different. Um, it is sort of a different thing, and I think that's true with a lot of different places. Pentecostalism um, is, is a bit different. And But the main thing I wanted to say about it is there is a, a culture of, of preaching, I'll say, there where... Um, there's a lot of, you know, emotion and screaming and things like that just across the board. It doesn't matter if they're Pentecostals or Baptists or, or whatever or anything. They're the same same sort of culture of preaching. And one thing that is, is really needed there is is teaching the Bible and explaining the Bible. You know, we don't need to make new messages. We just need to make the messages of the Bible understandable. And when I would preach and I would preach on a passage— uh, you know, it never failed. People would come up and say something like, wow, that was, that was different. That was, I felt like, uh, we were learning the Bible, you know, making comments like that, that really made me, um, I guess a little sad that it was so different than what they were getting, you know, because it wasn't doing anything special. I was essentially just explaining a certain passage in scripture and it was like, I was doing something revolutionary. And I just want to encourage people out there, um, you know, if, if that's when you go to church, when you listen to somebody, are they explaining the Bible and are they uh, consistently going through the Bible, not just picking what they want, but explaining the messages of the Bible to you, not doing not having certain hobby horses that they, they talk about every Sunday or whatever, but they are talking about the Bible and explaining what the Bible means to you, and you're able to listen to their explanations and look at the passage in front of you and say, "Yeah, that that jives. That's what it's saying here. That's what is needed so badly, not just in Africa, but here." Um, so that that's one thing that I really, really noticed about the churches. There, there are also really long services there, like I mean, sometimes four or five hours or more. So 
makes me appreciate that. Uh, I really like the music. Big fan of um, Kenyan worship songs and Kenyan songs in general. And so I think that's about it. I, I know there was a lot more that I probably could have talked about. And I just wanted to go ahead and, and, and do sort of an overall view of what happened. And, and thank you all for, for allowing me to, to go there and to I hopefully bear a lot of fruit for the kingdom of God. I really think that uh, it was a mission accomplished and God did more than I could have imagined and in terms of the ministry there. So um, I think that the work that I did there, even with the little things, are going to have big impacts there. So I'm, I'm excited. I felt like we left a big impression on Africa in lots of different ways, a lasting impression. And I'm ready to get back to work here in the United States of America. And um, particularly with this project of the Ancient Aliens debunked film, ready to go with that, want to do a really good job with it. And um, I'll be talking more about that in episodes, which hopefully will be right back on track. I'm going to continue to try to do them one, once a week, although right now I'm in super, super focused mode with this um, uh, with this film. And as a result, I may or may not, haven't decided yet, may continue to um, to not uh, answer emails with as much frequency frequency as I was before I left until I get get kind of caught up with what I need to do for the film. But uh, I'll probably continue to answer them. But just know if you're emailing that uh, I may or may not uh, get back. I'm reading them, I, and I uh, thank you for them. But I might not have time to, to answer each one. Um, but do email if there's something important. I, I will get back to you eventually. So with that, I just want to say it's good to be back. I'm glad to get started with um, the Revelations Radio Network stuff and verse-by-verse Bible teaching. I really am excited about that. That was something that I was impressed upon that I really, once the dust settles here with uh, with this film, I really want to go into um, expositions, particularly of Revelation. I felt like I got the green light to do kind of a mystery, what I did with the Mystery Babylon, but just do it with the whole book of Revelation. Um, so hopefully, unless something changes, that's what I'll be doing once I get done with the film, along with a lot of other smaller projects that'll be running parallel to to that sort of bigger project. Anyway, th- those are all just thoughts right now. And um, so thanks for showing up, tuning into the show, and I will see you all very soon. Bye-bye.